Um, but uh, the New Testament, though God is holy and God is majestic, Jesus uh, really changed the, the, the tone. Not the truth. He changed the tone when it came to the Father. The Father went from holy, majestic, and, and somewhat frightening, and maybe for some far off. And Jesus did things like Abba. When he prayed, he says, pray to Abba, your father, your daddy. And, um, and that's a profoundly uh, significant step towards closeness. Uh, he was saying, I want to be bros. I want to be close. And, and bros may go too far and you're uncomfortable with that. But I want you to know there's a God, a father, that's an, an incredible model. And, um, and we just sang about, I just want to be in your presence. Um, and, um, and we know that as, as our father, he cares for us and provides for our needs. That's what Matthew 6 is talking about. You know, he, your father knows what you need before you even come up with the words to ask. He knows that, and he'll take care of that. So that's one reality that makes him the model to follow. And, and as our father, he hears, actually, and answers our prayers. Um, and, um, you know, Trevor didn't call me with a problem. He called me to bless me yesterday, but... but um, I was so ready to drop everything and uh, to listen. And our Heavenly Father is that. And I, I know so many of you are good at that. And uh, you drop what you're doing. You change. You pivot. You adjust. And your kids are just so blessed because you're willing to do that and, and keep doing that. And here's another thing that I hate doing. It's really low on my list. It's not fun at all even though I know it's the right thing. Our Heavenly Father disciplines us, and I don't like that side of parenting. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I try real hard, and I think I do uh, uh, discipline when necessary or did when they were young. And, um, but maybe that's a picture of how God's heart is. I don't want, I don't like this. Don't, don't see me smiling right now, but I'm doing this because I love you, and he even says so, so. Um, and then uh, the incredible picture I'll never get out of my mind is in Luke 15. And it's a, it's a picture of a father who longs, who longs for a child. In that case, a son, could be a daughter, who's far from home. And he doesn't fold his arms and look the other way and pretend he doesn't see his repentant son coming home. But that boy is coming and he's dragging his feet and his crest has fallen, and he's defeated and broken. And what the dad does there is what God wants us to see about what he does. So keep doing that, um, and, and your kids will, um, will continue to bless you. Um, I also want to give a shout-out uh, to some of you dads who are uh, such models, and you don't even try to be. You're just really good dads. You're good men. You're, you're all man. You're, you're saying, I want to show my son, my daughter, what a holy, good, godly man is. And man, 
Thank you for doing that. I'm, th- I'm speaking for your kids right now. Um, that's a huge blessing. If you didn't have that, you get to be that. It, it, we can't change the past. I get that. So um, it's not even my sermon, <laughs> but I wanted you to know that. This is not, um, I don't want to overwhelm it. I have a couple of other things that I'm going to set aside for now, and I'll get them in a little bit. Um, little props, so keep, you, keep your attention there. Um, but I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9 this morning, Acts chapter 9, and I want to talk about um, a word that I think, how many of you know the word metamorphosis? Okay, so you were at least in the science class, whether you, whether you paid attention or understand metamorphosis, you were there, and it's a word, of course, used of the biological process in which a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, okay, we got that much. Um, uh, there's a group of researchers, uh, smart people, and they are known as entomologists, and they are bug people. They're, they don't bug you. They, they study bugs. And caterpillars and butterflies is part of their uh, sort of wheelhouse. They look at things like that, and they scratch their head wondering, how does this happen? And... Um, According to these people, the transformation happens where a caterpillar becomes a butterfly in these words, and I was fascinated by them. Um, One day, and I believe obviously God programmed all of this. So this is not, you know, praise the caterpillar. This is just, whoa, God, this was really cool what you came up with here. My friend says God was on his A game when he did things like this. So anyway, I think he's always on his A game. But anyway, uh, the transformation takes place when one day this caterpillar stops eating and hangs upside down, attached to a twig or a leaf, and spins itself a silky cocoon or molts into a shiny chrysalis. And within that protective casing, the caterpillar radically transforms its body and eventually emerges as a beautiful butterfly or a moth, okay? Um, Now, while this whole process has always been fascinating to me, um, there's one fact that I learned some time ago that's just downright, uh, I'll call it amazing, okay? Um, It seems that there is some confusion among entomologists when it comes to um, what what exactly is the identity, if I can use that word, of this insect. Is it a caterpillar? How many think that's it? Raise your hand. Or a butterfly? Raise your hand. Yeah, we got some noncommittals here for sure, okay? Maybe you online know the answer to this. Is it a What is the true identity of this insect? Um, The official answer, you ready? Not both. It's a butterfly. It's a butterfly. It seems that there is, um, well, let me go to my next question. Um, What then is a caterpillar? Yeah, you're getting, you're getting it. Let me give you the official answer. 
The caterpillar, because remember this insect is a butterfly, okay? But to explain the caterpillar, these words, it is a wayward form of the species. Ding! Can you see the light bulb? Ding! That is an aha moment in a big way. It basically means caterpillars were not designed by God to crawl on the ground. That's a wayward form. Wayward is not a good word. Anywhere you look it up, it's a bad word. Okay, wayward means, ooh. You know? I mean, whatever. Um, it's a wayward form of this soaring butterfly. Now, you have a perfect picture of salvation. Don't you? Blows my mind. It's just so cool. It's like, God, you just served up a pitch, and we went, Poosh. it's great. Um, humans were designed by God to live full, ready for this, forever lives. Not a few years. If you've cried tears at a memorial, that's not God's design. Do you know that? Are you convinced of that? Because I am. Why else would he say what he says in Revelation and in Isaiah 25 and elsewhere that says, I'm not done with those tears. I'm saving every one of them. Who saves tears? We wipe them away. And God says, no, because that's not my plan. And you'll see when I put it back together again. But we were meant to live that kind of life, free, full, forever lives in a perfect place. This is a mind blower. In, in the constant contact with our creator. That's really good. We're, we're designed. Somebody just started a really big muscle car out there. <laughs> and uh, somebody's going to go pull the distributor cap and <laughs> stop that car. So, um, so I'm just giving you the backstory. It's really important. In Genesis 3, if you have not read that lately, read it. And it will, it will explain to you how things went bad. Genesis 3, start at verse 6. And sin altered our very design, making every person ever since, including the two that were there, Adam and Eve, it made all of us wayward forms of our species. You with me? That's the truth that we come to. So when we repent of our sins and God saves us, then he begins this transformation of us from a comparatively, okay, follow my words, forget the vehicle. It's being towed right now. I see it going. No, just kidding. So, so wait a minute. God takes us when we repent of our sins, saves us, and then he begins to transform the comparatively ugly caterpillar. I'm not down on caterpillars. I just mean they're not as cool as butterflies. And, and then he begins to Remake us back to the original plan as a beautiful butterfly according to his original design. 
So today in our study in Acts, the next section, well, uh, I've called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We come to this incredible moment. Uh, we begin uh, we, with, with reading words about somebody that I'm just going to say seems very unlikely to have any potential for good. All right? So it gives you a little hint of who we're going to read about. Uh, we will witness a startling in our reading, a startling and extreme transformation that takes place. So uh, here comes the unlikely person. His name is, at this point, Saul of Tarsus. Look at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I know a lot of lawbreakers. You know one too, I am. But I know some really uh, extreme examples. And they're in prison for a long time. Um, murderous threats would get you there. For sure, carrying out those threats will change you forever. So this is who this Saul is in this first century world. And he's got a target that he's aiming for. That's why we're told against the Lord's disciples. So to carry this out, he went to the high priest in Jerusalem and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who, get these, this, this label, belong to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners down south to Jerusalem. So Saul was hateful and determined. Hateful not, I don't think necessarily against everyone that, you know, his neighbors might not have thought bad of him. But if you were a Christian, you never had eye contact with him. Stay away. Hope he doesn't find out. You're a target, remember? So he was, he was hateful and determined to do harm to the people of the way, as he was described a chapter earlier. Look at how verse uh, chapter 8 begins. Saul approved of their killing of Stephen. That's the same guy we're reading about here. Drop down to verse 3 and notice this in verse 3 of chapter 8. Um, but Saul began to, if you're following with me, destroy the church. He went from house to house. Are you part of the way? You one of those people? And he drug off both men and women and put them in prison. Um, and consequently, we've learned this already much more deeply than my quick pass. Um, lots of people that were part of the way hightailed out of town under the cover of darkness. They fled fast for their lives. We remember that in chapter 8. So some left Israel altogether. They didn't just leave town and go up, let's say, to Samaria, northern Israel. No, 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 no. These, people, these cats, they left the country. It'd be like living in Portland and saying, I'm, I'm going to uh, far northern Canada and, uh, or Mexico. You're going to leave the country. In this case, they went north to Israel's northern neighbor, Syria, their capital, Damascus, and these people that lived in that city had a, um, an immigration problem. There were lots of people showing up 
that were still panting as they ran for their lives. And they were people of this way known as Jesus. So operating on some kind of intelligence, and we're not really told what that was, Saul took measures to find and capture and then extradite, bring those people back to face trial. For what? For leaving Israel? No, no, no. For belonging to the way. You, you say you're a believer in Jesus. Is that true? If you had answered in that day, you're in a heap of trouble if Saul was the one asking. See how it goes? That's what was going on here. And um, <clears throat> verse 2 brings up a curious point, these letters. They were written from that high priest at the time in Jerusalem, and they were, they were written so that they could be presented to some people in Damascus at the synagogue. See, it's plural. It doesn't mean there's one place he went. It went to all the synagogues. We, we don't know how many. But he went to these synagogues, plural, and he handed letters saying, I got authority to do what I'm about to do. And I'm going to take these people back so that they can face the music. Essentially, it was giving them permission in Damascus at these synagogues, Jewish synagogues, to be um, partners in the roundup. All right? There it is. In other words, there's no place to hide. And then um, in verses 3 and 4, everything is about to change. Look on with me as we continue. As he neared Damascus on his journey, it's 140 miles, by the way, 140, 45 miles north and slightly east. So as he neared Damascus on his journey, Saul did, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now hold up. Um, he is literally, we're not told how far out from Damascus, but on his way, and he is blinded, we're told, by the light. And um, knocked to the ground, actually. Uh, if you were to take the time to read other accounts, because this was so impactful, you would expect him to tell stories for many years to come, and he did. Chapter 22 of Acts, he actually says it was around noon when this happened. So we know that much. And he falls face down to the ground. And in this moment, um, he not only sees this light that shuts his lights, but he hears this thunderous voice. And, um, and most scholars believe what we're reading about here is a theophany. It's a, it's a, it's a visible appearance of Jesus Christ, um, and and it and it often comes with light, um, and and brilliant light and thunderous sound. This this is the moment that Saul stood still and uh, had to check his pulse because the words were actually connected to him, and no making a mistake about it. Saul, Saul. Remember, he's traveling with people. You'll read that in a minute. 
The only one that was called out in the crowd, in the group, was Saul. And, and I, I don't want to upset you, but I could yell it loud and you would get it. Imagine yourself, maybe you don't have to imagine it happened to you um, by a parent growing up or a teacher in school. Um, Steve! Steve! You know, stop running in the halls or whatever it was. Or, no, you cannot shoot your BB gun in the house, that kind of thing, you know, whatever. So get your attention, right? So um, that's what's going on here. But this moment stands still not only because Saul knows he's the one being spoken to, but by the way that verse ends, verse 4, why do you persecute me? Um, So the evidence that we're reading, I'm not making this up, is... um, Saul was after everyone that was part of the Jesus program. With me? Then, and, and God knows that. So why is it that Jesus would say, would change, let's just call it out. The pronoun, why are you persecuting people or them, would have been the appropriate pronoun. Correct? But we got here, why are you persecuting me? Um, To understand the answer to this, we need to know something about this Saul. He describes himself many years later to a church that he planted in Philippi. He's describing himself to these people as a zealot, uh, among other things. He says, uh, as to... The religion that I grew up in, I was full on. I was leaning in, we would say. I was 100% all the time. Uh, Full throttle. Pick your terms. That's who Saul was, but he called himself a zealot. And he was possessed in his passion for Yahweh, for God, to rid the world of the crazy people that are roaming around and they're, they're increasing in number. And these crazies are saying things like, you know, Jesus is no longer dead. He rose from the dead. And, he, and he's like, that's not true. That's not here. It's not what I've been taught. He was taught by Gamaliel, this, this great thinker of the day. That was to him not bad thinking. That was heresy. That is serious trouble. And, and more than that, he rose from the dead. They're actually saying he's, he would wince to even admit this. He, they're claiming he's Yahweh, he's God. You see the, the, the twist that's going on? They, they believe he's Messiah. So it's clear that Saul was targeting people of the way. But what was not clear until this scene that we're reading about, is that Saul had not at all understood Jesus was the way. So clearly confused, he asks what I think we would have asked if we had words in the moment. Who are you, Lord? Verse 5. And... 
And the answer comes, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And then he says, now get up and go into the city of Damascus, where you're heading, and you will be told what you must do. Meanwhile, verse 7, remember the people I said were with him? We just know it's multiple, plural. The men traveling with Saul stood there. This is like you don't need the word. They're like speechless. They heard, but they didn't see anyone. This was a visit meant just for Saul. They were there, though. And they helped him get up from the ground. And when he opened his eyes, he could see the light? No, he saw nothing. He was truly blinded. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and neither ate nor drank anything. Ever wondered, wonder when you read three days, I just get all curious. I want to know what happened in those three days. Don't you? I mean, that's 72 hours. What, what was going on? Well, wonder no more. Uh, not because I came up with this, but because a little bit later in Acts chapter 26, he actually is uh, standing uh, sort of a pre-trial hearing. He's in front of King Agrippa II. He's down at Caesarea, which is the coast, and he's about to get on a ship, and it's a one-way trip. Does that make sense? He's heading to Rome, and the, the curtains on his human life are going are to go out. The, they'll, they'll close. He's going to die. He's been arrested, and he's giving a defense for uh, this, this king that decided to listen to the charges against him and actually said, I, I don't see any fault in you. And this is a religious thing. You guys settle your problems yourselves. And, and yet, unfortunately, Saul, you demanded a hearing with the emperor, and to Rome you will go. That's in Acts 26. Here's in his own words what happened in these three days that we don't know anything about in the narrative here before us, okay? Um, when Jesus stopped Saul in his tracks, Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's exactly what we just read here. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. Listen to this now. Is this cool based on what we just read? I'm sending you to them to open their eyes. You've just been blinded. So for three days, God's saying these things to them. I got plans for you. You're going to see again, but I'm going to have you go and help people spiritually see. You're going to open their eyes. And he goes on to say, and turn them from darkness to light. What you're about to hear is the truth about people that have yet to surrender to Jesus, to repent of their sins, and to say, I can't do this. I need help. I need hope. I need you to forgive me. I'm a mess. Uh, if it's true that you're this good, good father and you want me, then, then I cry out to you right now. 
Okay, at that moment, you say, well, what happened? You're about to hear. Okay, it's not subtle. He says, you will open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. Think midnight and noon. Okay? And from the power of Satan to God. So when you become a Christian, you don't just sort of barely move. You're going from hell to heaven. That's as huge as it gets. Would you tell people that? Some way, don't just club somebody on the you know, street corner or you know, a stranger. But find your way to the deeper truth. This isn't just to make you okay for today. This is to cause you to go from darkness to light, from death to life, from Satan to, to the Savior, from hell to heaven. All of that is there in Acts 26, telling us exactly what these three days were about. Big time stuff. He had received a vision and a picture of God's plan during those three days to use him. I'm just going to ask you, it's on, been on my mind since reading this again. Do you have a plan? Is there a vision in your life? I told you last week, I'm just talking to everybody about Jesus. It happened again yesterday. More stuff. Not, not awkward. I had to put insurance on my new trailer. So I called Geico. And there's this really cool lady in some place, and there's a child in the background. I said, how cool. You get to have your baby there. She goes, I'm so glad you're okay with that. I said, heck yeah. Have your baby there. Does, does that give me a discount? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking a little bit. I said, we'll get this trailer because we, we, we've been holed up for a year, over a year, fighting leukemia. And this is the next step for us. And, um, you know, we've just, we've just experienced everything Jesus promised. In the last, she goes, how'd you do that? Gee, let me think. I'm not sure my answer to that. No, it was just, well, we just, he said he'd take care of us. He said he'd carry us through the fire and the flood. He said be be our constant companion. He did it all. And and then he put us around people that are the delivery system of so much of that in our lives. She's like, sir, thank you for telling. I mean, it it was just a Jesus moment. It was really cool. So, um. So he has this vision. I hope you do. I have a growing vision like that. Um, so let me go a de- step deeper, and then I want to bring it to a close here. Um, do, do you, have, have your eyes been opened to who Jesus is? And I used to laugh thinking this, this great song, Open My Eyes, Lord, I Want to See Jesus. And it was always ironic to me. There was sort of this irony of people, open my eyes, Lord, we want to help me now to see Jesus, to reach out and touch him, to say that I love him. Open my ears, Lord, and help me to listen. Open my eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus.
Um, I, um, at the same time going on in the city, uh, that Saul's hearing these things for three days, let's call it being schooled by God, you know, shut up and listen, son, um, there was that moment for three days, and at the same time, God is giving a briefing to a devout follower of Jesus named Ananias. Don't confuse him with the Ananias and Sapphira who um, lied to the Holy Spirit and died back in Acts 5. This is a different Ananias. And um, he's told by God about the new arrival in the city, and it goes like this. Look at verse 10. Uh, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. That's a cool name. And ask for the man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. The response is what you would expect. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, have, have, I've, I've heard reports of this man, Saul, and all the harm he's done to your holy people down in Jerusalem. And, and, and he's come here with authority, I understand, from the chief priest to actually arrest all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, it's okay, bro. Go. This man actually is no longer a terrorist. He's going to be an evangelist. He is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So he, he gets this from God, Ananias, and even a specific address, and even is told Saul's waiting for the knock on the door. That's all set up. Um, by now, word has spread, and Ananias is like I would be. Even though I, 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 I trust God, I want to walk with God, I hope in God, there's this sense of, did we get this all right? You know, that guy's loose. I don't want to be the next. And, and that's why he says what he did in verses uh, 13 and 14. Isn't this the guy to get, get straight about it? And he tells him, yes, it is. But there's a new guy being made right now, being changed, transformed by me. And, um, yeah, he's got the history you remember. It's horrible. But by my choosing, I have a great destiny. Are you that person when I say that? You got a bummer history. Maybe you're watching in today and you're going, that's me, Pastor. You, you know what? Um, you can't change anything about that. And I'm not going to try to say, oh, it wasn't that bad. It was probably as bad or worse than you're making it. But here's the reality. Even for Saul, that guy, God could say, I, that was a bad history. You actually... Um, hurt my people and killed some of them. But I've got a great destiny for your life. Who can do that except God? Not willpower. It's the Holy Spirit's power. And it's so uh, impressive, the list of people he's told. He's not going to just be this apostle that goes back to the Jews and sets things straight. He's going to be Jews and Gentiles. 
Did you see that? He's going to be, uh, he's going to reach out to kings. It's mentioned there. And commoners. The whole, everybody. He's going to be this guy that's lit on fire. And, um, and indeed, the rest of the New Testament tells about that fire, doesn't it? Can I tell you what else it tells? If you've ever wondered, why did Paul get the stuffing beat out of him so much? As you read about that, if you haven't read that in a while, please read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You will read, read a list, and I double dare you. Read it twice. I actually give you that encouragement in the notes today. But you read it twice, and, um, and when you do, ask yourself, at what point would I, would I have just kind of waved the white flag and say, I give? I mean, I was beaten, I was shipwrecked, I was stoned, I was in constant danger against all kinds of people. They want, remember that target he had for people? The target's now him. So read about that. I have a question here at the end. Do you know someone like Saul? Just think about it. Rhetorical question. I want you to think about someone like Saul. And uh, remember in high school, uh, the yearbook, we had this uh, most likely to succeed. Remember that list? Um, I had a personal list down at my high school in Kaiser. Um, least likely to become a Christian. I never said it to anybody, but I thought it. And... Um, and there was one guy that I, uh, if I was God, I wouldn't want him in heaven either. I mean, he was, he was not a good guy. He was just, I'm just being honest, you know. Maybe that's true of me too, but this was for sure true of him. And, um, and I just remember thinking, I'm going to read a story about this guy just dying an early death and it's over and out. And I don't go to re reunions. Anybody go to reunions? I don't know. I'm scared to go. But anyway, we're going to. But I, I, I've never gone to one. It's just been not even curious to me. Um, but for those of us that don't go, there's a, a, a yearbook group that, that compiles updates on everybody. I'm not even sure what it's called. So I decided I'll get one of those. This is at, at about 10 years or 20 years out of high school. I'm more than that now. Um, So guess where I went when I got my yearbook? And I went to this guy's name, and I fully expected it not to be there. No, the guy died a week after high school, you know. He's there, clothed and in his right mind. There's a picture. And then it says things he likes to do. All of us turn that in, you know. What do you like to do and all that? I'm thinking he's like, you know, shoplift, uh, you know, whatever. He says, my greatest joy in life is to worship and praise my Lord and Savior. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I just thought, wow. Only God, only God can do that kind of thing. Saul called himself later to one of his last two letters. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He's talking to Timothy with his arm around him saying, hey, bro, here's some things you need to know. I'm about to head home. 
and be face-to-face with Jesus. So get this down. And he says, you're going to meet people that go, no, I'm that guy Pastor Steve just talked about. I don't belong in heaven, and I don't, be- I, don't, I don't deserve to keep living on earth. I'm that guy. And he says, please be sure and tell those people that I am the worst of sinners. His own words describing himself. Please read 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17. You're just going to go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, that's going to change my life and how I view people. And it, and it certainly did Timothy's. Um, he went from worst of sinners to the greatest apostle. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Um, transformation all over the place. And um, we're going to sing about that now. Uh, there's a there's a world that we live in that I want you as a worship team to join me here. We're we're living in a world. Here, here's the deal. Um, uh, we need to be people who uh, who live our lives as transformed people, and not just make that good enough. But don't stutter when people say, how come? And even if they don't say, how come, just, just don't be fake modest. The truth is they're, you're, they're noticing you. They're like, how can you go through what you're going through? And they'll go, oh, no, it's nothing. Or, or no one pays attention. Yes, they do. And they want to know what is it about you. Because here's the deal. We, we live in a world filled with inauthenticity and emptiness. But that world hasn't given up on its craving for people to to not only see but to hear. I've been changed. And and you get to tell them how. And somewhere in telling them how, you know what you're going to tell them? You're going to tell them that it was God and his great love and his amazing grace that looked past my sin. I was once lost. I was once broken and I was once a persecutor and a violent aggressor, Paul said, describing himself. He goes, heck, I was the worst of sinners. Yet God, because of his great grace and mercy, made a move didn't he we just read about it made a move in my life and I I can't tell enough people about it please let's be that people because it is amazing grace and it's something that when they hear it from you and then see it leaking out of you pouring out of you they're going to go I want that and let's, let's lead them to the cross, lead them to the Lord, and be with them forever when we're with him. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this really great song. Um, Broken Vessels is really good, and it talks about the grace that's even better.